Well, it's a real pleasure to be with you this morning. I've also invited a few of my friends, ancient friends. These two friends, are, I've known them for 30 years. They've come to Ray Brooking and his wife, and then Terry Lawrence. There were some others supposed to be, I don't know, they lost their way. Some, they go to a Chinese restaurant or something. <laughs> so good to be with you this morning. Uh, sometime in the next few weeks, I'll be doing a a Zoom call with some of my American friends. The, the, a few American leaders got together and said, we need this guy. So I will be answering some of the tough questions. So I'm, I'm going to focus seven uh, common objections to Christianity. There are some notes. So if, if you'd like to join us for the Zoom, uh, just email me. And it is simply drstevekumar.com. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the famous... Uh, Gmail, <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested, just, just drstevekumar, uh, gmail.com, and I'll connect you to the event. Well, we have a lot to cover this morning. I'm going to look at uh, the amazing faith, 20 reasons why Christianity makes sense. Now, I don't have 10 hours this morning, so I have to speak very fast. These are need to... Explanation. I'm just giving you the bare bones, the flesh, you have to add it together. Um, there comes a time in our life when we face the big questions. I don't know if you ever faced it. Every intelligent person, every normal person must face this basic question. I had a professor who had an interesting way of dis stating the problem. He says that uh, the first question is, where do I go? for answers to life's most basic question. Where do I go? Philosophy, science, psychology, where do I go? And so he says that, uh, where do I go for, life, for answers to life's most basic question? And then secondly, is my source reliable? Is my source reliable? And this is important. Uh, I res respect a philosopher by the name Thomas Morris from Notre Dame says this, to be utterly lost in the woods is unfortunate. To be utterly lost in the woods is unfortunate. To be absolutely unconcerned about it is unreasonable. A careful objective examination of the Christian faith will surprise curious mind. Christianity is both rational and personal, objective and subjective as our brother was talking about earlier on about faith. Faith has two sides. The objective side, that is the historical side, the factual side, the reality side, and then there's the feeling that we have, our conversion experience. So it is both subjective as well as objective. Deeply intellectual, yet it is simply profound. It is so engaging that a philosopher can spend century debating the essence of Christianity, yet it is so simple a child can believe it. That's a beautiful part. So it is mysterious, yet it's meaningful. It is divine, yet humane. It is a faith that makes sense at all level. Sadly, today Christianity is dismissed subjectively, misunderstood logically, and rejected superficially without seriously examining the evidence. And then skeptics frequently approach Christianity with preconceived illusions. Like the man who said, I've made up my mind, please don't confuse me with the evidence. <laughs> I said that on a television program years ago. 
And I said it was a lady who said it, but I've revised that. Some man said it. <laughs> so like, her, like the university graduating student who said, I feel like I'm leaving the university with a bag full of marbles in my hand. They don't seem to fit together. They are more like unrelated marbles in a bag. How true that is. Uh, today, if you want to know what is the meaning of life, you don't get at the university anymore. You don't get at Hollywood, although we look at Hollywood for answers. Where can we turn? Well, the Christian faith provides that answer. Of all the faith that we have in the world, Christianity shines brighter, more powerful than any other faith that we have. So I want to invite you to come and explore this wonderful faith that we have, the amazing faith that we have, the amazing God. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Moses makes this fantastic statement. He says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? That's the God that we serve. I wish I had more time to explain this factor. Oh, wow. What a, the God that we serve is awesome. has no comparison with the gods of the world. For the last 35 years, I've been examining this with various scholars and debated this issue with various intellectuals. I still think Christianity provides the best God, the best revelation, the best redeemer, the best redemption. If you really compare it apologetically, you'll find that you'll be convinced that there is a message, there is a faith that uh, provides amazing answers. The God that we serve is awesome. That's why the songwriter says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When we stand before God, we will, as, I, as Pascal put it in another context, this is when you stand before God, you see unworthiness, yet at the same time you see hope because God is there not to condemn you, but to save you. That's a God that we have in Christianity. Uh, the God, I was, my first job was uh, in New Zealand was a teacher at Wangare Boys High School. And that's where... Nicole Kidman's husband went to. So he was my student years ago, <laughs> before he was famous, that was. Uh, while I was at that school, I met a teacher who said he doesn't believe in God. So I asked him sharply, don't you believe in the greatest love? Don't you believe in the greatest power? Don't you believe in the greatest mind? Don't you believe in the greatest wisdom? Don't you believe in the greatest value? God is that. God is all of that. And who would reject that? Only a fool would that. Who would reject the greatest love? Who would reject the greatest power? The greatest intelligence? The greatest wisdom? That's what God is. So those who ignore God are, are fools because they're ignoring the... If you look at it from that context, and that's a logical way to look at it, the God that we serve is a creator he created you. The choice is very clear. Either we believe 
that God created you or you're an accident of nature. So how I was lecturing at, um, in Los Angeles some years ago. I, for a whole week, I was lecturing under Eastern philosophy at uh, William Carey University. Then I had to meet with a bunch of PhD students. They invited me to defend the faith to these students here. And uh, this PhD are pretty sharp, you know. Uh, Sometimes I regard PhD as the permanent head damage. Uh, in many cases, they go to university and they change their thinking and you can't talk to them anymore. <laughs> That's damage, isn't it? <laughs> PhD means you should be smart enough to talk to anyone and understandable. So education shouldn't confuse you, but should enlighten you. So I was talking to this group of PhD students during the break, and this lady said, how could you believe in creation? Evolution is a fact. I said, how could you believe in evolution? Because to believe in evolution, you must believe the unbelievable, think the unthinkable, and reason the unreasonable. She said, what do you mean? So I took two cups of coffee. I said, if you don't believe in the existence of God, the creator, you must believe once upon a time there was this Mr. Dust floating in the universe. And then there was Mrs. Dust. She was up there. And after millions of years of wandering, they came together. There was a cosmic accident. Bang! And out of this bang came junior dust. <laughs> after the junior dust, then it became an amoeba, a flatworm, a monkey, a crocodile. Then I said, you are the final accident. <laughs> she said, well, if you put it that way, it is hard to believe. I said, yeah, because evolution has no design. There's no designer and we've got design. And there's no life, but we've got life. There is intelligence, but there was no previous intelligence. And it much makes better sense to believe in a creator God with intelligence and value and purpose and meaning could create us. So that's what we affirm. There's a creator God that we believe. There's a God behind this universe. The design argument perfectly defends it beautifully. And not only this God is, that we serve is not just a cosmic atom out there. He's a personal God. If you look at the Christian faith and compare with Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, only Christianity presents a personal God. If God is not personal, you cannot love. Only a personal being can love you. Therefore, the Christian God is a personal God. And then thirdly, it's a rational God. God is not mindless. In fact, one of the greatest teachings of the scripture is the image of God in us. God created us in his image, and that is our rational capacity to reason, to debate, to understand, to comprehend. And the, that's why science came out of a Christian worldview from the 16th century to the 18th century, the top thinkers like Kepler, Faraday, Simpson, Newton, Galileo, all these were believers in God. But today it is taken over by humanists, now university. So we get this idea that Christianity is anti-science. It's not. The early scientists were Christian. Why that? Because they believe in a rational universe. Because there's a rational God who created a rational universe. And this is what moved Einstein profoundly. He says the most incomprehensible aspect of the universe is that it is comprehensible. How is that? We could come together here this morning and engage in understanding, listening to a sermon. Well, because we all created in the image of God. We bear the image of God. That's the rationality in us. 
That is the most unique aspect of us. We are created in God's image, and God so loved us so much that he created another being that he could interact. So this is the most wonderful part of who God is. Then it's a loving God. For God so loved the world. He's a loving God. He created us that so much. So how do you know God loves you? Well, he died for you on the cross. That is the greatest act of love. That God paid the price for us on the cross. He's a God of love. And furthermore, this will blow all the Baha'is and the syncretists who say that all religions are the same. Only Christianity, if a person were to say to you, Islam and Christianity are the same, you just ask them this question, is your God triune? And there all other religions, the God is not triune. In all other religions, God is impersonal. And God is not a triune being. Only Christianity offers a triune being. That's why it makes sense to believe that God, it's possible to believe that God could die for us. Because the triune nature of God demonstrates that. We have an awesome God. A God that we can relate to. A God that communicates with us. It's like in Buddhism. A Buddhist monk was praying and a Christian asked him what he was doing. He says, I'm praying to nobody for nothing. So the great nothing. <laughs> uh, in Christianity, God is something. God is someone. God is a being that we can interact. We have an awesome God. A goddess who has not left himself without a witness. A God who engages with us. And this is so beautiful. Because we have a God who welcomes us. A God who loves us. A God who died for us. A God who is loving. Personal. Let's look at the second factor. The amazing God. The amazing revelation. This is important to, for us to be aware of. Because... A lot of people say Christianity is no different from other religions. No. Show me a revelation that is as good as the Bible. Give me a book that they say God loves you. Give me a book that says you were created in His image. The Bible is such a revelation. In fact, today, because we have rejected the Bible, you can see the chaos today. You know, when I was just telling Brother Terry earlier, when we forget the ultimate sense we fall into nonsense that's worth $10. <laughs> when you lose the ultimate sense, you will also lose your common sense. And today, it is so clearly illustrated in our culture in the Western world and even in the Eastern world, the, the sense has disappeared. So any nonsense is glorified. Why is that? Because we have forgotten that revelation that standard that comes from God. It is quite amazing. So when you give up the holy word, you will turn to Hollywood. And uh, there's no... Every one of us are believers. This is important to remember. It's not the Christian is a believer and the non-believer is unbelievable. Uh, the unbeliever also believe in unbelievable thing. Every one of us are believers. So what is your view of reality? What's your view of morality? What's your view of personality? What's your view of destiny? All of us share that. And an intelligent man will reflect on these questions. The, <laughs> the fool will just ignore that. That's what Christianity is all about. So when a person says, I'm intellectual, I say, what's your basis for morality? What's your basis for truth? When I was debating Bill Koch, who's the president of the New Zealand Atheistic Society, uh, I asked him, I said, for you to say Christianity is not true, 
you must know what is true. And where do you go? That's an important question. Where would we go to define what truth is? That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity answers those metaphysical questions, the deep question. See, Christianity is not superficial. Christianity is deep. And if you are not a deep thinker, you won't believe in it. <laughs> because Christianity is not just a fairy tale. It is a reality. If you look at the, the, the revelation that we have in Christianity, it's, I, I need 10 hours to explain this because I'm making a lot of statements and they need to be justified because of the time I can't defend every point that I'm making. But there, at least there are five good ways to look at the revelation. Number one, the Bible that we have is reliable. It's reliable historically. Archaeologists after archaeologists have confirmed the reliability of the Bible. It's a reliable revelation. It's not, see the Jews were not given to mythology. What does Paul say? What did Peter says? We have not followed cleverly invented fables, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You get that all through Luke's gospel, John's gospel, all focus on historical factors. So we have a reliable revelation. And then it is remarkable. The Bible is unique. There is no other book that have come any close to the Bible. What about the Quran? The Quran is a copycat. It follows, it copies the Bible. <laughs> it appeals to the Bible and, and rejects the Bible. For example, the, if you look at one, all you have to provide is one problem. The Quran says Jesus was not crucified. Now that is, if I was a prophet, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> because you can check that out. And Muhammad is wrong about that. Because... The crucifixion is supported by Roman historians, Greek historians, Jewish historians, Christian eyewitnesses. And Muhammad comes 600 years after the event and says Jesus was not crucified. Who would believe him? Because he's not qualified. He's not an eyewitness. So how many errors should a book make to be erroneous? <laughs> Only one. <laughs> the Quran cannot be accepted historically, not only on that ground, there are many other grounds. So the Bible is unlike the book of the world. It is God's message. It is different in, in its style. It's different in its composition. It's different in its message. It's different in its influence, in its impact. The Bible gave America education. Bible-believing Christians invented schools, universities. Why? Because the Bible is realistic. It is a book it's God's love letter to you. He, wrote, he gave that book so that you may know what life is all about. It's, if you look at philosophical system like Nietzsche, Russell, Hume, what do you get? You, you don't get certainty, you get uncertainty. You get skepticism. In a world of skepticism, there is a message that God gives us. God does not want us to be erroneous. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. God wants us to be informed. That, that's the beautiful message of Christianity. And, uh, wow, I wish I had time to unpack that. Uh, if you read the works by Clark and uh, Nash and, and others, they will see as lowers. The way they look at Christianity is so beautiful. That's what keeps me going because Christianity provides the answer to our questions. The Bible deals with that. It's reasonable in Revelation. There's nothing in the Bible that offends your intelligence. 
In fact, uh, I was at Auckland University some years ago doing a seminar there, and a lady came to me and said, I cannot accept Christianity because it's oppressive to women. I, so I said, well, she was very strong. The way she spoke, I said, okay, rather than proving my point, I'll challenge her point. And so I, I said, how do you know women have rights? Now, that's a philosophical assumption, you know, because cultures talks about various assumptions about life, reality, and people. How do we defend the rights of women? Well, outside of God, there is no rights. Outside of scripture, otherwise it's just a blank statement. We have rights, the minority of rights or majority of rights. These are all philosophical assumptions. How do we answer that question? Only God gives us the rights. Only God says, you're okay. Otherwise, uh, you are left with no answers. You can't talk about the dignity of a man or a woman, the rights of a man or rights of a woman. God redeems us, so he gives us a right in that sense. You are valuable. It's wrong to kill. But if you give up the Ten Commandments, how can you be moral? <laughs> and you can see today we are trying to be moral without a standard. So you've got subjectivism all over. Uh, today, the West has no standard anymore because we have rejected the standard. And when you reject God's standard, you are left with your own devices. As the Bible says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's why we need the revelation of God. We need God's holy word to be holy. And God's word, it's a beautiful word. You can read it and read it and read it and still find it refreshing and, and blessings after blessings because it's God's word. And God's word will be hated by the world. Today, the Bible is hated. The Bible is denied and all that, but it still shines. It still brings hope to, to people who open it and find comfort in that. It's, so it's a reasonable revelation. It's a resourceful revelation. Where would I turn to find a book that says, your sins are forgiven? Where can you go and find a book that says, God is not against you. God is for you. Uh, where, is a, where can you turn a book that talks about eternal life? Where, where do I go to find answers about my eternal destiny? Not only my origin, but my eternal destiny. The Bible does. And is proven by archaeology. It is supported by factual discoveries. And it makes sense. Because the Bible produces the sort of people that the, who believes in it. If you believe the Bible to be God's word, you start reading, the Bible keep on changing you. Oh, I remember back in my high school days, there was a guy called Richard. He, he was so bad. He would beat up students just because even if you stare at him, he'll beat you up. <laughs> and, but then Richard found the Bible. He was converted. And he became a saint. Um, amazing. Only the Bible will change lives for good. Because it's God's word. You've got so-called the wisdom of the world, but they're, they're not qualified to talk about it. <laughs> you know, like you hear people talking about uh, Job, uh, how brilliant he was, but it's still man's opinion. We need God's opinion. My life is too expensive to be wasted on man's opinion or a woman's opinion. <laughs> we need God's wisdom for our life. It is a book that 
gives redemption? Where can I turn to where to find a book that talks about my eternal affair? The Bible gives us great insight into our life. Well, let's look at the third one. This is the refreshing point. Every point is beautiful. We have an amazing God. We have an amazing revelation. Thirdly, we have an amazing Jesus. Try to compare Jesus with any others. I can't. Buddha left his wife and kid. That's not a very good thing to do. Jesus never did that. Well, Buddha was maybe wise in some ways, no doubt. And he was hard working on his meditation. And I tell my students never to sit under a tree and meditate because especially if it's a coconut tree, and the coconut hits you, become a religious nut. <laughs> so, uh, so Buddha's famous fame was under a tree. But Jesus died on a Calvary tree. He paid the price. That's a beautiful difference. Uh, so I don't want to be critical about other religion. I want to be positive here. If you look at Jesus, he performed 36 miracles. He gave 38 parables. He offered 19 recorded prayers. He issued 45 predictions. He preached 16 recorded sermons. He conducted 35 recorded dialogues. He made 16 Old Testament references. You got all of them there. He died the most painful death ever known to man. His disciples saw him walk on the water, steal a raging storm, made a, the lame to walk, caused the blind to see, fat 55,000 with few pieces of bread and fish, lived a blameless life, died a terrible death, rose from the dead. That's why their songwriter says, redeem how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child forever I am. Christians can sing the song. We can sing the song that my sins are forgiven. I remember Jehovah Witness, uh, they seem to come around my area quite a bit. I don't see them anymore, sadly. Uh, they, on one occasion, I remember they came knocking on my door. And I, as soon as I opened the door, I could smell it's Jehovah Witness. Because I'm used to their perfume. Uh, and the, 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 I, one local I knew, they, they, I said, I know you guys are Jehovah's Witness. I'm a Christian. I'm saved by God's grace. God has forgiven my sin. I have his peace in my heart. I'm going to heaven. What have you got to offer me? They looked at each other. They said, what can we offer this guy? He looks like God everything. Well, in Jesus Christ, we have everything. He gives you Grace. That's why John says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are different. Christ came to change us from one life to another life. Christianity is not about religion, rituals, and so forth. We are changed people. Christ came to change you, to give you hope and peace and love. We live in a rotten world. We live in a broken world. We need Jesus Christ because Christ takes away the crisis. And in Christ, we are something very special. The best way I can illustrate Christianity in the light of all other religions is like I was drowning in a lake and I did not know how to swim. I was drowning and here came the religious leaders of the world. Buddha came along. He said, it's all in your mind. 
if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Muhammad came by. He says, it's Allah's will. Kay Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Confucius came along. He says, life is confusing. And, uh, well, I can't help you because I'm not a savior. I'm an educator. So you got to educate yourself. That's one answer. Krishna came by. He says, it's your karma. <laughs> your karma has caused you to fall into this lake. You deserve it. That's the teaching of Hinduism. You know, a karma is the master. And uh, we reap what we sow. I was still drowning. But then Jesus came. He said, I've come. That you might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to give us hope. Christianity is not hopeless. The world needs Christianity because we are in a crisis moment. Christ came to save us. And in Christ, we are redeemed. That's why I'm a Christian, because I see hope in Christianity in the light of world's chaos. During the lockdown, it's beautiful to see Christians had hope. The world was in despair. Christ makes the world of different because there is hope in the midst of despair. God has not left us without hope. The person of Christ matters to me because there's only one savior in the world. There are many sort of educators and philosophers and scientists. But Jesus stands above all these guys because he is God himself. And there is enough evidence to believe that. He has provided good evidence. And finally, oh, I haven't gone through the five points with, well, time is of the essence. Jesus, what is so unique about Jesus compared to Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Karl Marx? Well, Jesus was prophetic. He came fulfilling hundreds of prophecies. Muhammad fulfilled zero prophecy. There is no prophecy he fulfilled. Now, there are a few ones. The, the, you, know, you might hear this one. The Muslim will say, well, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And if you take the word Holy Spirit, parakletos, the Greek word, and if translate that into Arabic, they, the Muslims say, ah, that's Muhammad. Well, <laughs> let me answer that. It's not Muhammad because it says the comforter of the Holy Spirit. When was Muhammad a comforter? He came with a sword, not a comfort. And furthermore, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Muhammad was uh, 600 years too late. So it doesn't fit him at all. So it's a spirit, not flesh, the Holy Spirit. So I don't know how they can even imagine answering that, you know. So when you give up your mind, when you give up common sense, you will believe in nonsense. So uh, it is Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophets, the place of his birth the time of his death, his resurrection, and so forth. So he, he was a prophetic redeemer. He was a profound redeemer. Now you take the message of Jesus. If you think you, you can improve on Jesus, give me a better sermon on the mount, the prodigal son. Jesus' teaching is so uplifting. He is profound because he is God. So he was a profound redeemer. He was a pure redeemer. You look at that. All the other prophets of so-called, not pure. In fact, Muhammad is a good example. He had nearly 18 wives. 
but the disciples are only allowed four wives. And he married a, a young wife who was six years old. You know? It was given to him when he was six years old. And uh, anyway, Jesus was pure. He was holy. In fact, he said, and can any one of you convict me of sin? He was, I cannot worship any man, but Jesus I can. Because there is purity in him. There is holiness in him. And God is holy. So he is pure. And then he's powerful. You know, Buddha died of food poison after his enlightenment. <laughs> and then Muhammad also died of food poison. <laughs> Muhammad himself says, a true prophet of God will not be poisoned. A false prophet will be poisoned. <laughs> and then he was poisoned. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. If you look at it, uh, uh, Jesus had power over nature. He had power over disease. He had power over demon. And he had power over death. Only Jesus was, go, was able to go to the graveyard and says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead came out. That's the Savior we have. And uh, so he is a powerful Savior. He, whoever sat to the storm, peace be still. Even the, the disciples says, even the, the winds and the waves obeyed him. That's the sort of Savior we have in Jesus Christ. And then, Jesus did not only just come preaching and teaching. He came to prove that He is. You know, the claim of Christianity is that the Savior came to this world, died for our sin, rose again on the third day. The resurrection of Christ puts Him apart from all others. In Christ, we see the power of God. The what converted me to Christianity is the resurrection. When I began to look at the resurrection, I was biased against it. I didn't want to believe it because my background was different to Christianity. But the life of Christ and His resurrection converted me. When I came and looked at this evidence, there's no other explanation. God has given us witness. God has given us signs that He is real and He sent His Son to pay the price for us. And Jesus did that. But if the beauty is that he proved it by his life. And the early church turned to Christ. The Jews who were Jewish turned to a new Messiah. is because they saw in the life of Jesus evidence that he was who he claimed to be. So we have many prophets today, so-called leaders and new agers. In fact, in America, they've got thousands of so-called Gurus who claim to be the second coming of Christ. You see, you can claim all that, but where is the proof? <laughs> That's a difference. Jesus provided the proof. I was in Vancouver do, doing some, I had a, a month ministry in six universities in Canada. And I remember one of the chaplain taking me to a restaurant. One of the blessing being apologies, got a free lunch. And there, while I was having this lunch, he said, there, over there, there is a mental institution. I often go there and pray for this mental people. Uh, but uh, they know that I am a holy man. So every time I walk in, they get spiritual. The mental patients. So he, he said, one time he heard one guy said, I am a prophet of God. God has sent me. And then he heard another guy said, no, no, I didn't send you. <laughs> now anyone can claim to be a prophet. Anyone say, I am this and I'm that. You know, some of these gurus are famous for that. 
But where is the proof? In Christianity, Jesus died and rose again. Isn't that powerful? One day I'll die. One day you'll die. But the power of Christ can resurrect us. That's the hope we have. When I was in, when I was in high school, they used to call me Elvis. I was good, good looking. Look at the disaster. I look at the mirror, I cry. I say, when I was in high school, I was somebody. If I one of the girls say, you're better than John Travolta. Look at the disaster. <laughs> we all will age. Our beauty will disappear. My hair is disappearing. Uh, what will happen? One day we will get old, we will die. But you know, in the midst of this reality, there is a hope. There is a message for us that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and paid the price so that your life may be secure. And that's what we have. Security in Christ. My security is Jesus Christ. And finally, redemption. We talked about an awesome God, an awesome revelation, an awesome redeemer. And finally, the final point, redemption. As I quoted earlier, John 1 verse 18, the law was given by Moses. The law. Rituals and laws. But grace is what is lacking in all religion. Only Christianity majors on grace. We have grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound, a save a soul like me. In Christ, we have redemption. See, Jesus came not to introduce a new religion. He came to reconcile us back to God. Christianity is about a relationship with God. Not a mere system of ideas, a mystical exotic experience, but a spiritual transformation where a finite human being meets an infinite God. Religion is man's search for God. Christianity is God's search for man. Christ came not to reform us, but to transform us. Not to make us religious, but to make us right with God. He did not come to add to our burden, but to remove our burden. Christianity is not something which we, we achieve but something which we receive. Religion says, do, 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 to be, do, be, do. Jesus says, it's done. When he died on the cross, he says, it's done. He, he came to pay the price of the cross. And when he was bleeding to death, when he was rejected, there God was actively loving you and me. That's how we have a God who has a heart for us. Never be bitter to God. I can never be bitter. I lost a beautiful wife and a brilliant son. But I'm never bitter because what God has done for me. I can never, yes, I lost a wife, lost a brilliant son. But God is greater because one day they will be resurrected. And that is my hope. So Christianity makes a lot of sense, a lot of meaningful sense to me. Because in Jesus Christ, I have grace rather than law. In Christianity, we have atonement rather than your personal achievement. You have a relationship rather than a religion. You have a regeneration rather than just reform, like the reformed alcoholics. No. In Christianity, we have God's work in our hearts where he regenerates us. So in a puzzle world, Christ stands at the pinnacle of truth. He offers peace to the disturbed. He offers truth to the seeker. He offers forgiveness to the guilty. He offers love 
to the unloved, offers freedom for the fearful, proof for the doubter, and hope for the lost. Let's rejoice in what God has given us. Let's celebrate Christ's victory over death. Let's celebrate the Christian faith and encourage one another, get to know the faith in a way that we can help others to see that Christ is the answer. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your people here this morning. Father, I thank you for every soul that has come to receive your word. Father, I pray that you will comfort them, that you will bless them, anoint them, keep them close to you. Thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sin on the cross. Thank you, Father, for all that you are to us today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.